languages that dwell in the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has, has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a home, I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I, as I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to the heaven, and it was visible at the end of the whole, to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves are beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head, as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the world, by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it to the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to the heavens and was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves are beautiful and its fruit abundant, and which food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in, which, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, you have grown, grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of the heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is interpretation, O king. 
it is the decree it is a decree of the most high which has come upon my lord the king that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of heaven men and gives it to whom he will and as as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules therefore o king let my counsel be acceptable acceptable to you break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity all this came upon king king nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of babylon and the king answered and said is not this great babylon which i have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty while the words were still in the king's mouth there fell a voice from heaven o king nebuchadnezzar to you it is spoken the kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over to you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will immediately his immediately the word was fulfilled against nebuchadnezzar he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws at the end of the days i nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and i blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom rules endures from generation to generation all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him what have you done at the same time my reason returned to me and for my, and for the glory of my kingdom my majesty and splendor returned to me my counselors and my lord sought me and i was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me now i nebuchadnezzar praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven for all this works are right and his ways are just and who's who and those who walk in pride he is able to humble thank you stalet i know that was long but thank you for the effort good morning can you all hear me very well all right okay um i i just i didn't want to steal anybody's thunder but i just wanted to wish all the mothers here a very happy mothers day and even more so today because my own mom is sitting here in the audience uh so happy mothers day to all the mothers we will continue our study in uh, the book of daniel and uh, today we are in chapter 4 as was clear from the reading it's a long chapter but uh, i will not read the entire passage again i don't think it's necessary i'm sure all of you uh, have followed through the reading of the text but i think i'll just read some scattered verses that are necessary for the interpretation and to follow the text and to follow the story right uh, so as always uh, let's begin with an anecdote because 
I'm picked on this very issue by a lot of people. So let me begin with an anecdote. But uh, I want to take this. I want you all to take this message as seriously as you can, as from the Lord, as I do to my own heart. So the story is told of a woman, a woman who was a janitor, who used to clean toilets and all of that, and uh, and and so she walked into a church. And the pastor preached a very convicting message that day. He preached the gospel with all his heart and he gave an invitation. And when the invitation was given, this woman was one of the first few to come to the front. And uh, she says she invited the Lord Jesus Christ into her heart. She trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so after the service was done, um, she waited to speak to the pastor. And she said, well, pastor, I'd really want to be part of your church. And the church consisted of very rich people who were great donors to the church. So the pastor was very little worried about it. What will, the members, what will the members think, the other members of the church? Because, you know, she's a janitor. She stinks a little bit. And her nails are, you know, uh, unclipped. And there's dirt in her nails and all of that. What will the other members think? They might start leaving because she's a member of the church. And so he wanted to spiritualize the whole thing. And he said, why don't you go and pray about it and come back to me next week? And so the woman goes and prays about it, and she comes back the next week with even greater conviction and says to the pastor, Pastor, I prayed about it, and the Lord told me very clearly that I shall be a member of your church. And the pastor didn't know he didn't have um, any way out of there, and so he says, I'll give you some more time, why don't you go and pray about it again? And uh, she disappears, and she doesn't come to church the next week. A month later, the pastor's out in town in a restaurant, and as he was eating, he sees the woman standing outside. And, and, just to, and just to make sure that she doesn't think he is neglecting her, um, he walks up to her and he says, I didn't see you in church after those two weeks that you came and spoke to me. What happened? Did you speak to the Lord about it? She said, yes, I certainly spoke to the Lord about it. And the Lord spoke to me and gave me an answer to my question. And the pastor was startled. Oh, really? What did the, what did the Lord say? And the woman said, don't bother about getting into the church and becoming a member of it. Because Jesus said, even now I've been trying to get and become a member of the church. They've never let me in. It's a humorous story, but I think it is a certain message to most of us, if not to all of us seated here. Perhaps God has been trying to speak to us. Perhaps God has been trying to speak to you personally, or to me personally, but your life and my life is so thick that we don't have an ear to listen to him. Or maybe God has been trying to get your attention lately, but you and I have been so busy that we don't want to pause long enough to listen to the voice of God. Or perhaps God is trying to tell us something and you and I have been ignoring him of late. How long can you and I do it? How far will you and I go with that? In a context like this, there are certainly some questions that will come to our mind. And these are all tough questions. These are all important questions for our Christian life. And one question is, what will God do when you resist him while he's trying to get through to you? What will God do when you resist him, when he's trying to get through to you? Or better, how far will God go? Now listen to me, please. How far will a sovereign God go 
to get his message across to you? How far will a sovereign God go to get his message across to you? And the answer is not hard to find. As we consider the story of Nebuchadnezzar from Daniel chapter 4 today, we will find the answer. And though this story happened some 25 centuries ago, the moral of it, the meaning of it, the application of it is as relevant to us as this morning's news. And even though the world has changed so much, human heart has not changed, God has not changed, and how God deals with people has not changed as well. You know, a young corporal once went and told Winston Churchill this, I want you to know, sir, that I'm a self-made man. And Winston Churchill, with all of his experience, and in his own inimitable way, looked at the young corporal and said, young corporal, you just relieved God of a very solemn responsibility. You just relieved God of a very solemn responsibility. The world is full of men and women who are proud, who don't have time for God, but God knows how to break them. God knows how to break you when you don't have time for him. God knows how to break me when I take him for granted. So today's passage will reveal to us two things that you and I need to understand regarding how far will the Lord go to get his message across to us. How far the Lord will go to get his message across to us. Daniel chapter 4. And as always, I have the outline up here. Kindly follow along. This is just for understanding, but please listen to me carefully as I speak the word of God here. In verses 1 through 27, you'll see that the Lord intervenes when we think we don't need him anymore. The Lord intervenes when we think we don't need him anymore. Whenever you place your confidence in things and not in God, whenever you place confidence in things and not in God, he reaches down from heaven and begins to shake the very things that we place our confidence in. And that's the first thing that he does when he intervenes. And that's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. He was the king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar learned through his dream that God is sovereign over the affairs of mankind. Nebuchadnezzar learned from his dream that God is sovereign over the affairs of mankind. How did it happen? It happened in two episodes or two vignettes. We look at it one by one. Firstly, Nebuchadnezzar was petrified by a dream that God gave him. Verses 1 through 17, I will not read all of it. But let me just read verses 10 through 17 and follow along in the text, please, as I read it. The visions, verse 10, the visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field uh, found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. Let seven periods of time pass over him. 
The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Fascinating description by Daniel. In fact, some scholars say that Nebuchadnezzar himself could have written this passage with his own hand because it's in a first-hand narrative. The story begins at a time when Nebuchadnezzar was at the crest of his glory. He is contented, he is prosperous, and well, he should be. Because Nebuchadnezzar was king over one of the greatest empires the world has ever known, Babylon. And if there had been a Fortune 500 list in those days, Nebuchadnezzar would have topped the list. He spoke, it was done, and then when he commanded, mighty armies moved at his command as well. And what about the city of Babylon? You remember the hanging gardens of Babylon? It was built by him. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. In fact, uh, the city was so big, and it was, it was circum- circumscribed by a 15-mile double walls, 85 feet wide, uh, high, 27 feet wide, so much so wide that four chariots abreast, four chariots abreast could run on the circumference of this huge wall that circumscribed and protected the city of Babylon. And this gives him enough reason to be secure, to be safe, and to be satisfied as well. But one night, things changed. He had a dream all of a sudden. And this wasn't the first time God spoke to him in a dream. Remember in Daniel chapter 2, God spoke to him again where there was a dream where there were four metals and God was giving him the plan of the ages, how God is going to deal with different kingdoms as his plan plan for the ages. But now, this dream was quite different. It was very personal to him. And the dream had two distinct parts, if you notice. First thing was the king saw a huge and a vast tree As far as the eye could see, the tree spread its branches. And the birds of the air came and nested there. And uh, the beasts of the field came and rested under it. And it gave fruit and food to a lot of people from around the world. In fact, uh, all the the animals and birds. Then there's a second thing to it. The tree was cut down. It was stripped. And the stump was remaining there. And that was kind of chained with... Uh, with, uh, bound with iron and bronze, and then somehow in that vision or the dream, this stump that was cut off, the stump that was left after the tree was cut off, becomes a human being who lived among the animals. And evidently, this person completely lost his mind. This was a dream. It was a two-pronged dream that he received. And now the king, this king Nebuchadnezzar, being the intelligent, smart man that he is, he, he recognizes intuitively that this was a very important message. And he had to get the meaning of the message. But nobody in the kingdom, as usual, nobody in the kingdom, uh, his soothsayers and his wise men, nobody could interpret it for him. And so he calls Daniel because he believed that Daniel possessed the spirit of the holy gods. Daniel possessed the spirit of the holy gods. It's a pagan way of saying that somehow he is possessed by the Holy Spirit. So Nebuchadnezzar was petrified by a dream that God gave him. Secondly, Nebuchadnezzar was told that he would be humbled by God if he did not repent. Nebuchadnezzar was told by God that he would be humbled by God if he did not repent. Verses 18 through 27. I'll just read four verses here. Verses 24 through 27. This is the interpretation of king, says Daniel. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King. 
that you shall be driven from among men and your, and your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. The king describes the entire dream to Daniel and concluded by appealing to Daniel that he needs Daniel to interpret the dream for him because none of his wise men, none of his soothsayers could interpret the dream for him. But this dream seems quite apparent, quite lucid and clear. Why didn't the soothsayers interpret it for the king? Maybe God hid the meaning from them. Or perhaps it could also be a logical, given as a logical explanation that the soothsayers understood the meaning of the dream, but since it involves the humiliation of the king, they didn't want to get into trouble by giving him the truth. And so, God call, and so Nebuchadnezzar calls Daniel. Daniel understands the meaning of the dream. And Daniel understands it's about the humiliation of the king. It's a message coming from God himself. It is certain it's going to happen. And so Daniel is troubled by it. And Daniel takes some time. Understanding the uneasiness of Daniel, he says, don't worry about any kind of a punishment. Go ahead and give me what the interpretation is. Now, this tells me that these two men, the king and the prime minister, had great trust in each other, had a great respect for each other. If you remember in Daniel chapter 2, it was Daniel who gave the dream and interpreted the dream as well for the king. And from then to here, it is about 25 to 30 years. You're talking about a span of 25 to 30 years. And I wondered when I was studying this passage, what were these so-called wise men doing for all these 30 years? Nothing. They couldn't interpret the dream then. They're unable to interpret the dream now as well. But God was with Daniel. It was Daniel who interpreted the dream. But Daniel starts to interpret the dream by repeating the facts of the dream. He tells him the entire dream again if you read the passage. The reason why he gives him the entirety of the dream is to assure the king that he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's talking about. And therefore, the interpretation that Daniel is going to give is right and accurate as well. And here is the interpretation of king is what Daniel says. You king, you're mighty now. But there's going to come a day when God is going to humble you. God is going to put you out to pasture. You'll become raving mad. And you will go and live among the wild animals. You'll, be, you'll eat the grass of the field. And you will behave like an animal. And all this is going to happen. And notice the word until. All this is going to happen until you realize that you're not the ruler of the heavens and the earth. You are not the ruler of the whole earth. It is God who rules the heavens and the earth. It is he who is seated on high. It is who, he who needs to get all the glory and not you. He is God and not you. And then he begs and pleads with the king with a bold exhortation. He says, I plead with you, king. You can avert this by repenting of your sin, by practicing righteousness, by not being an oppressive king. You could do that. Now, there is a principle that I want to leave with you here. And it is a biblical principle that you find in this text and you find throughout the Bible. Any judgment, even when pronounced by God himself, can be averted if you really repent of your sin, any judgment 
can be averted if you really repent of your sin. That's exactly what happened in the case of uh, Jonah as well. Jonah wanted to go and preach 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. Hallelujah. That's exactly what he wanted to preach. But then the Ninevites repented in sackcloth and ashes and God relented from sending his wrath and calamity upon that city. Any judgment can be averted if you truly repent before God and understand that he deserves the glory and not you. Nebuchadnezzar was told that he would be humbled by God if he did not repent. And I want to make this application as, pers- as personal as possible to me and to the entire church. Are you attempting to live without God? Are we as a church attempting to live without God? Maybe not. Are we as individuals attempting to live without God? Maybe true of some of us. And I hope it's not the case with all of us. Because God is entirely righteous, he will not stand idle when he finds his children sinning forever. Because God is entirely righteous, he will not stand by idly when he finds his children sinning forever. Sooner or later, he will intervene. And how does the intervention come? To borrow the image from the, to borrow the, image from the king's dream, it will always begin by shaking your tree. It will always begin by shaking your tree. You know, Malcolm Muggeridge, a great British journalist, he, he shared his... Uh, story about his interaction with Svetlana Stalin, who was, the, who was the daughter of Joseph Stalin. Joseph Stalin, as you know, killed a lot of people, his own people, in fact. And Joseph Stalin, uh, he, was, he had such hatred for God. He was an atheist, and uh, he just lambasted the Christian faith. He, in fact, he went to a seminary and dropped out and came and proclaimed to the whole world that there was no God and all of that, and he lived that way. And so they were, uh, BBC was filming a cover story on her father. Check. And so they were interviewing uh, Malcolm Muggeridge and Svetlana Stalin. And Svetlana Stalin made this comment. She said, I watched my dad right next to his bedside as he, as he lay dying on his bed. And he was in raving stupefactions and all of that. He had hallucinations. But all of a sudden, he did something that really startled me. He mustered up all his strength, just sat up halfway as much as he could, clenched his fist to heaven with anger, and then dropped his head back on the pillow, and then he was gone. Such hatred for God, such hatred for God, even in the last moment of his life. Attempting to live without God. Now, you and I may not go to that kind of an extent, But let me ask you a few questions as I honestly ask myself these few questions. This is just to check if we are really trying to attempt to live without God. How are you spending your time? How am I spending my time? How are you spending your money, which is really God's money? What are your goals for your career? What are your goals for your kids? What do you think the most about? As you sit idly or you're traveling on a plane or or on a train, what do you think about? In fact, what do you think most about? Who are your heroes or models? Who are your friends, in fact? 
How do you spare? How do you spend your leisure time? If the answers to all these questions, my friends, if my answers to all these questions are not undergirded by God, if they are not undergirded by God, then you and I, albeit very subtly, are attempting to live without God. Albeit very subtly, are attempting to live without God. And whenever we think we can live without God, hear me please, he reaches down from heaven and he intervenes in your life and mine and he shakes the tree to begin with. He shakes the tree to begin with. Where is your confidence in today? And where is my confidence in? Is it in something other than God? Or is it in somebody other than God? Could that be the explanation for the health problems that some of us suffer? And I want to be very careful in this. But could that be the explanation for the health problems that some of us suffer? Is that one reason why we have difficulty in our marriages? Or we have troubled children? What about legal problems? What about the trouble that we have with our friends? What about the breakup of cherished relationships and dreams that turn to dust? What about personal failure? Are not all these things allowed by God as a way of shaking our tree in order to get our undivided attention? In order to get our undivided attention. C.S. Lewis once said this, pain insists upon being attended to. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks in our conscience, and he shouts to us in our pains. God shouts to us in our pains, and he calls pain God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It is his way of saying, it's time for you right now to pay attention to me and not anything else. As I look at this chapter, my dear friends, as I look at this chapter, I find great hope and abundant grace as well to me and to each one of us seated here. I find great hope in this chapter and abundant grace as well. There is hope for all of God's children because God will not allow us to live in sin forever. He will not allow us. He will certainly intervene sooner or later. And sometimes it will be in painful ways and sometimes it will be publicly. But certainly he will intervene when you and I persist in sin. Be sure of that. And there is hope for those who are very far from God today. And I know there are some of us that way seated in the audience. There are some of us that way thinking we are Christians. Just because we are born into a certain family or into a certain denomination. And thinking that we are Christians, we are born again. There is hope for you as well. You know why? Because Nebuchadnezzar was a pure pagan. And God had mercy on him. God had mercy on him. And once God had mercy on him, he started speaking like a Puritan theologian. Please don't attempt. It's my plea to my own heart as I stand here speaking to you. And to your heart as well. Please do not in any way, albeit subtly, attempt to live without God. Attempt to live without God. So in verses 1 through 27, we saw that the Lord intervenes when we think we don't need him anymore. The Lord intervenes when we think 
We don't need him anymore. Then there's a second thing you need to understand regarding how far the Lord will go to get his message across to you, to get his message across to us. And that is in verses 28 through 37. They say, the Lord disciplines us until we learn the lessons he wants to teach us. The Lord disciplines us until we learn the lessons he wants to teach us. God's purpose in humbling us is not to destroy us, but to draw us back to himself, to draw us back to himself into fellowship with him. And that's precisely what we learn from this episode as well as I bring this to a close. Nebuchadnezzar failed to repent and God crushed him until he acknowledged God's sovereignty over him. God crushed Nebuchadnezzar until he acknowledged God's sovereignty over him. Again, we have two scenes in which it played out. Let me go through them one by one for you. First, Nebuchadnezzar was too proud to confess that God gave him all that he had. Nebuchadnezzar was too proud to confess that it was God who gave him all that he had. Verses 28 through 32, but uh, yeah, I think I'll read the whole, uh, whole four verses for you. All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is this not great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power? as a royal residence and the glory of my majesty. While the, listen to this, please. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. Now, the rest of the story unfolds very quickly. For 12 months, God gave the king time to repent. 12 months, he gave him time to repent. But we see that there was no change in his heart. Nothing that Daniel spoke, no exhortation of Daniel really sank deep into his heart. Or perhaps, or perhaps, just to give him some benefit, the king thought, I still have time to repent. I still have time to repent. But then... He goes onto the roof of his palace as he is surveying the entire kingdom that I just described to you. It's huge, it's massive, it's imposing, all of these great structures. By the way, Nebuchadnezzar the Great was a born architect. And so he built all these huge structures. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon that I just talked about is the modern equivalent of 1.4 ton ACs that we use. He built it for his queen so she could be in in an air-conditioned room. So uh, he was such a great architect. And looking at all of that, notice the pronouns that he's using. I, I built it. My kingdom, my residence, my glory, my, my, me, and I, and all of that. And before he was done with his sentence, God stops him right there with a voice from heaven. Let me make an application right here, please. To you and to me both. I hope none of us ever speaks like that. Not even in our minds. Not even in our thoughts. Because the moment you take the glory away from God, be sure he's going to smack you around. God deserves all the credit for everything that we do. He deserves all the glory. He deserves all the honor. And when I was writing this down, I was thoroughly shaken, in fact. I'm not worthy to preach this message, in fact. 
Because we need to give all our glory to God. All our credit to God. No matter what we do. In all that we do, in fact. You know, we look at our little ministries, our little kingdoms, our little fan followings, and then we think we made it all by our own credentials. I'm a preacher because I've got good language or any kind of thought. We are here. I stand here. You sit there because God has given us the grace and he deserves all the credit. He deserves all the glory and he deserves all the honor. The moment you take it away from God, it doesn't take much time for him to smack you around and let's be careful about that. Let's be careful about that. Nebuchadnezzar was too proud to confess that God gave him all that he had. Secondly, Nebuchadnezzar was disciplined by God until he honored and glorified him. Verses 32 through to 37. I'll just read two verses for you and then we'll move on quickly. Verses, verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my reason written to me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures for generations to generations. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand. Look at this, please, the last sentence. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? The sovereignty of God. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So the voice comes down from heaven and announces judgment. And just as swiftly as Nebuchadnezzar was serving uh, his palace and the entire kingdom, as swiftly he loses his mind. And one moment he's standing there in all glory as the king of Babylon. Another moment he's tearing and ripping apart his clothes. Uh, he is stark. He is raving mad. He's naked. And he's running in the, in the main thoroughfare of Babylon. Everybody is watching him. And worse than that, the text says, in fact, some of the Hebrew scholars who read this text, they say that he had a nervous breakdown, a kind of a nervous breakdown. He went totally insane, lost all connection with reality. And some say that he was afflicted with something called boanthropy, which means you, you think you're an ox or a bull and you start behaving like an ox or a bull. And so you go out into the grass and start eating grass. It's hard to imagine a more severe punishment from God. I think this is more severe than death. Why? Because everybody is going to watch you go through that period of insanity. And that's for seven years. You still are the king, but you can't talk. You can't make decisions. Uh, you are raving mad. You're behaving like a bull. You're an animal, in fact. And the whole kingdom is watching you. The whole kingdom is watching you. He acted like a beast of the field. My question is, as I looked at the text, I asked this question. Why would God do such a thing? Why would God do such a thing? The answer is not hard to find. Because pride is a form of spiritual insanity. Pride is a form of spiritual insanity. It is claiming credit for ourselves that belongs to God alone. And what happened to Nebuchadnezzar is a kind of a parable for all of us living here in the 21st century. When a man tries to become like God, he becomes like the beasts of the field. When a man tries to be like God, 
he becomes like the beasts of the field. But that's not the end of the story. We have hope in the story. Seven years later, three things happened is what the text says. Number one, he looked up. Number two, he spoke up. Number three, um, I'm sorry, he woke up. And number three, he spoke up. He looked up, says the text. He looked up to the God of heaven. He looked up to the heavens and he realized that it is not him who is God. It is God who is seated on the throne. And then he woke up. His sanity was restored. And then he spoke up. He praised the Most High. And we know that he was truly changed. He was truly converted by what he spoke after he came back to his senses. This one spaken king, this one spaken king now is openly declaring the praises of the Most High God. He's truly gotten this message. And the message is this. It is the same message to all of us. God can do anything he wants to do. God can do anything he wants to do. And no one can stand him. No one can stand him. Earthly rulers, be it Prime Minister Narendra Modi or President Trump in the US, earthly rulers rule by God's permission. And they only have a certain span of time as God allows them to stay there. That's the sovereignty of God. And now Nebuchadnezzar understands that. And that's why he's proclaiming, proclaiming it now to the whole world. And then he makes a statement. Everything that he does is good. Look at the text here. Everything that he does is right. Everything that he does is right. I think true biblical faith begins right here at this statement. Everything that God does is right. Anything that may happen in your life or my life, everything that is done by God is right. And before this experience, I'm pretty sure if you'd asked Nebuchadnezzar, what is your greatest moment in life? He would have talked about some kind of a building that he had built or some kind of a mighty uh, war that he had fought and won and all the booty that he had got from war. But now, after this episode, you come and ask Nebuchadnezzar, what is your greatest moment in life? He's going to come and answer you the question. I was raving mad, driven by God, and now I know who to give glory to. I came back to my senses. I know the right theology now. Nebuchadnezzar was disciplined by God until he honored and glorified him. Dear church, are you taking the Lord's discipline seriously? I'm sure even as you sit here and listen to me, many of you, I'm pretty sure, many of you are feeling as if God is shaking your tree. And you want to know how long it lasts. Many theologians give different answers to this question. How long does God's discipline last? Can I give you a brilliant answer that nobody else gave? The answer is I don't know. The trials of life are ordained by God for our benefit. Only he knows when it begins. Only he knows when it ends. But this much you can be sure about and I can be sure about from the Bible. God will never shake your tree one moment longer than necessary. But he will never stop shaking your tree one second before you get the message that God is trying to get across to you. Did you hear that? God will not shake your tree one moment longer than is necessary, but he'll never stop one second prior 
until you get the message that God is trying to speak to you. So if you find yourself in a hard place, if you find yourself in an uncertain place, and if you long for days of peace and contentment and all of that, may I say this to you as kindly as I can. Be patient. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. Don't run ahead of God. And don't waste your time telling him what he needs to do. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt us in due time. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt you in due time. Now, this is the ultimate piece of good news that I get from Daniel 4. If we stand back and look at the entire episode, listen to me, please. We're almost through. If we stand back and look at the entire episode, we can put this entire episode of the life of Nebuchadnezzar into three parts. Number one, prosperity. Number two, judgment. Number three, restoration. Prosperity, judgment, and restoration. And from the king's point of view, I think the entire thing is a very satisfactory state of affairs. He wouldn't have wanted it any other way. And he ends up better off in every way, both spiritually and materially as well. And in this I take great comfort. And I think you should take great comfort in this as well. Though God should for a season afflict us with many trials, his purpose is not to destroy us, but to purge us from our sin that we might be brought into a close fellowship with him. And in that sense, Nebuchadnezzar's insanity was a mercy from God as well. Even his insanity was a mercy from God because it made him a better person who was connected to God. Hebrews 12, 7 says, I think some of you may have it in memory. It says, God is treating you as sons when you endure discipline. For what son is there whose father does not discipline him? For what son is there whose father does not discipline him? You know, all of us have earthly fathers. And some of us have grown up and still they try to discipline us sometimes. Right? But the fact of the matter is we, we have been disciplined by our earthly fathers. How much more? How much more? Our, our heavenly father. But I also want to, all of us, I also want all of us to recognize this one as well. We don't discipline somebody else's child. We discipline our old child. You know, I was in the supermarket trying to buy, you know, all these goods and all of that. And you go once in a month and you want to stock up as much as you can. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, you have this long list. And right next to you is this 80-year-old kid who's screaming that he wants something. What do you feel like doing? Could you please stop it? But nobody dares to do that. Because it's not my kid. It's the parent's problem to discipline that kid. Same thing with God. If you and I are being disciplined, then we are the sons of God. And remember this. God does not discipline an unbeliever in this life. Because he has saved that judgment for the great white throne. When he's going to stand before him, the unbeliever will. And he will understand why he is going to the eternal destiny that has been destined for him. So if you and I are being disciplined, it is because you and I are children of God. If you're not being disciplined, perhaps you have to look at your own life. You may be thinking you're a Christian, and you're perhaps not. 
simply stated, a Christian with no problems is an illegitimate Christian. A Christian with no problems is no Christian at all. Discipline is not brought to us in spite of our following Christ. It is brought to us because of our following Christ. Is that clear? It is not because of in spite of our following Christ. It is because we are following Christ, we are disciplined. And the question is, are we taking God's discipline seriously? And here is one test. Now I'm almost through. Here is one test that you and I have grown through the disciplines of life. If you and I can look back at the disciplines of God in our lives and give God the glory and thank God for what he has taken us through, although you and I have had to pay much cost for it, it means you've matured through that discipline. Otherwise, until you mature, until you understand what God wants you to understand, he will keep bringing those things into your life. You can know that you've made a spiritual breakthrough when you can tell your own story without feeling a need for any kind of an embellishment or, any, or, or having to hide any kind of a negative things. Please take the Lord's discipline seriously. I say this to you as I say this to myself. So what's the point of this morning's sermon? The whole chapter basically says this. The Lord will do whatever it takes to get his message across to us until we honor him for who he is. The Lord will do whatever it takes to get his message across to us until we honor him for who he is. He is God and we are not. All spiritual growth must begin at this point. Until we grasp this truth, we can never make any progress in our spiritual lives. Malcolm Muggeridge, I close with these I close with this illustration. Malcolm Muggeridge, again, I want to quote him. He was a great British journalist. He was so fluent in the English language that he once described himself as fatally fluent. Fatally fluent. Great language. You know, he, uh, he's a late comer to Christ. I think after 70, he came to Christ, written some brilliant books. I love his writings. But then he put something this way about pain and all of that. Just one paragraph. Listen to this, please. Contrary to what might be expected, I look back upon my own experiences that at that time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. I'll explain the first sentence to you. What he's saying is, when I look back upon the pain and the desolate experiences of the past, although they were painful at that time, when I look back at them right now, I look at them with particular satisfaction. Now we'll continue. Indeed, he says, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I've learned in my 75 years in this world Everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness, whether pursued or attained. It has always been through affliction and not through happiness. In fact, uh, there's a theologian who says, if you take pain away from this world, it will not make us any better people. It is pain that God inflicts that makes us better people, the kind of people that he wants us to be. Thank you for your patience, and may the Lord bless this word and speak to each one of us, even through this week. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Although it was written some five, in, in the 500s before Christ, it speaks to us as relevantly, as clearly as it can, O oh Lord. Father, forgive us, because often overtly and often subtly, O oh Lord, we don't take you seriously. We take our lives for granted. 
We put our confidence in things other than you. And we don't take your discipline seriously. Father, help us to live as your children, understanding that you discipline your own children for our good, not for destruction. It is not punitive, but it is something that is restorative. You want to bring us back into fellowship with your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, let these words speak to us powerfully and let these applications be heavy on our hearts until we turn to you and say, Father, I live for your glory and I realize it is you who is God and not me. And help all of us to say with John the Baptist, you must increase and we must decrease. Thank you for this morning. Pray, for, pray, O Lord, for the fellowship. I pray, O Lord, that we'd have a good time of fellowship, that one that honors you as well. Pray for the second meeting where Jobin is going to speak. Pray that you would speak your words through your servant as well, O Lord. We want to thank you for everything in Jesus' name.